you know, you talked about technology earlier. Technology is one of the biggest disruptors of our time. And it's happening at such a fast rate. At the same time, though, sometimes it's not happening fast enough for us <laughs> as well, which yeah. is it's just something to take into account. Welcome to The Change Lead, the podcast providing leaders with the insight needed to get things done in a rapidly changing and complex world. Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Connect with our community of like-minded leaders on our website, thechangelead.com. Welcome to The Change Lead with your host, Babatope Ipiyumi. During challenging times, leaders need to step up and lead people. To discuss this with me is Jennifer Bryan. Jennifer is a published author, global speaker, and director of change and leadership. She has worked with nearly 40 different organizations in multiple industries. Jennifer is the author of Leading People in Change. Today, Jennifer and I will have a conversation about leading people in change. Hi, Jennifer. Really great to have you join me today. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. Yeah, no, fantastic. Thank you very much, Babs, for inviting me. This is, I think this is going to be fun. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, to get started, I'd like to, to reference your book, actually, mm -hmm. um, Leading People in Change. So I think somewhere early on in the book, there, there's this phrase that got my attention. You said, there can be no learning without change. And there can be no change without learning. So I think that's quite insightful. Um, yeah. So I think it would be good for our audience if you, if we get into a little bit of the journey, the motivations for the book. So is that something you can share? What prompted you? What motivated you to write the book? To write a book? Well, um, first of all, I started off in learning and development, actually. And I got into change through learning and development because to me, those two things very much go hand in hand. And I studied, was studying my master's and I'm a very practical person. And as a result, I, I like to do things that are gonna make, a, make an impact and help people. That's a real motivator for me is to help. And at the time I was doing a lot of executive coaching within a central government department of a whole bunch of new, uh, very senior leaders that were coming on board. And a lot of them would say, yeah, 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 Jennifer, I know about Cotter and this, but what the heck do I do with this thing on my desk? And so I decided as I was doing my dissertation that that was the question I wanted to answer is what the heck do they do with this thing on their desk? <laughs> and so I did the research and, um, and, 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 and conducted my my research as well and has created the ab change model and i named it after my kids uh it, rather than i didn't want to call it the brian change model or the jennifer <laughs> model or so i named it after my kids i have child a amelia child b blake and they changed my world <laughs> and um and whatnot so when I created that and I and I wrote the dissertation and and so forth, I knew then I wanted to write a book um, about it because I wanted to share that with as many people as possible so I could help them in answering this thing on their desk. And so uh, still being the practical person, though, I wanted to show the good, the bad, the ugly 
with it. So I want a load of examples of it being used and, and how that went. And so for some reason, I don't know why, I had this number in my head, I had to have 24. Why, why 24? <laughs> I don't know, but 24. So that took a little while to gather um, as a result, 10 years. Uh, but in December of 2018, I was, I was working with a client and I was updating my, um, my database of, of case studies. And I went, oh, I'm at number 24. <laughs> Time <Nice>. to get started. <laughs> so, so that's where it all came from. And um, so it didn't take me very long to write this particular one uh, because I, it's been germinating in my head for so long at that point. Um, but I really wanted to show those practical studies because my, my audience, my, who I had in my head as to the person that this book would really sing to was if there was a if there was a leader or a manager who is getting on the train in Manchester and they just run into WH Smith to grab their water and a sandwich and then they go, oh, I need something to read. What what and and I've got this change thing and I don't know what to do about it when I get to London. And so they're scouring the the business books and they go, ooh, and they pick mine up because it's quite small. And um and they go and they and they have the time to read it between Manchester by the time they get to London from Manchester, they have the time to read it. And then by the time they get off the train, they go, now I know what I need to do when I walk into that meeting. And that's that's the person that, that I had in my head um, that this was for. It's it's meant to be a very concise uh, read um, and very practical where they can just get on with it rather than talk about a whole bunch of theory <laughs> yeah I, I think i like the fact that you say you're you're so practical and it came across with the with the way you described your motivation there it's a brilliant journey by the way and the fact that you're naming after your kids the ab change model after your kids i, we'll, I think we'll, we'll we'll get on to that um i think <laughs> one thing that's coming across clearly is one from being practical you realize very clearly that change is really about people it's yes. not really about the theory. You're thinking yeah. about the audience. Um, a lot of people, they've got this challenge on their desk, like you say, and they don't know how to deal with it. They mm -hmm. need guidance. They need inspiration. They need someone to help them to get across yeah. the, um, the, the, the change. So if we, if we look at those challenges you're referring to, those big challenges on the desk, sometimes they're like, like I call them elephant in the room. Um, and <laughs> some, some, so in some, in some places, the 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 big challenge is they've got aging technology; they don't know what to do with it. Some 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 organizations, the the biggest challenge is growth, and they need to, to deal with it. They need a change. With your experience, you know, what, you've got twenty four cases before you even wrote the book, so you've probably even grown that case more than mm. more than twenty four now, based on the experience you've got. What would you say are the biggest challenges managers and leaders are facing when it comes to change today? I think the the biggest challenge that leaders and managers face is making the choice, because it is a choice, to take the time to understand what it is they are trying to do and the context of which they are trying to do it in. Mm. And 
in my experience, very few do that. And that makes a big difference on the impact that change has. Because if we are really clear about what it is we're trying to achieve, what is the vision, what, what is that about? And I don't mean in the ethereal sense. I mean, what does that practically mean, feel like, look like, um, all, of, all of that? And then understand the context of that. And what I mean by that is they, they do the three key leadership skills. They stop, they breathe, and they listen. And they take a look around and see what is it that's going on for people right now? What are they potentially thinking and feeling about the world right now? Much less then what might they think and feel and perceive about the change. And we can start to take a look by just observing. And as a through that observation, many times we end up answering a lot of those big questions by just taking a look and taking that time. And we also need to take a look at those influencing factors, those external and internal influencing factors. And what I mean by that is when we use, that's bringing into for the, the holistic approach, which is all encompassing. That's what holistic means. And that's taking a look at the politics going on within an organization as well as outside. You know, when politics happens within a country, much less between two countries, you know, that can have an impact on the organization and certainly on people and, and how they feel about things. There's the economic fluctuations. There is social realignments and adjustments. You know, you talked about technology earlier. Technology is one of the biggest disruptors of our time. And it's happening at such a fast rate. At the same time, though, sometimes it's not happening fast enough for us <laughs> as well, which yeah. is it's just something to take into account. As well as the UN sustainability goals, you know, we've got the um, uh, climate COP 27 happening right now and, and Charm. And, you know, we had the one happen in Glasgow last year. All of that's really bringing this to the fore for people. And a lot of people have been doing things already, but now they realize, what else can I do and how else can I do it? And um, and all of that has an impact on how people think and feel about the world and you know what's going on for them, as well as then what the changes are going to be happening, because they all have ramifications of those um, of their lives in the professional sense as well as in the personal sense. And so the more we can understand that context then of the what it is we're trying to do, the better we can prepare and plan for the changes that are that's coming down the line. Indeed, I, I like that. Those are two very practical and big challenges that you mm. described there. The first one is leaders need to really invest the time to understand what is it they're really trying to achieve. That is key. Um, yeah. Why are we doing this? What are the real drivers? That is so, so important. And I think I've seen it so many times where mm. I've seen... I call it sleepwalking, where mm -hmm. you almost find your way, you find teams sleepwalking into an action. 
instead of being very deliberate why are we trying to do this and then you can you make better decisions when you're fully aware and investing the time before you start and oh, completely. The, the other challenge of the of the context particularly today we are we, we basically live in a global village you make a change here in london doesn't mean you're isolated to london it's a global challenge you've got global oh, yeah. impact unintended consequences so you really need to understand the factors like the politics within a team politics within a company mm -hmm. politics within an industry um so lots of industry events I, I speak to people who go on on panels of industry and, and before a particular panel they're looking okay who else is going to be on this panel and how do mm -hmm. i position myself for that panel it's it's so intricate and these are the things that you need to be and with just one person speaking at a panel yeah, think yeah, about a, yeah. a change costing yeah. five million ten million dollars Mm. And you've not thought about the dynamics and the politics and the factors that you're referring to there. So that is yeah. very well said, very, very brilliant. So if we if we look at like staying with a very practical tone, how do we begin to address this solution-wise? Now, I think, and in your book, you talk about the AB change model. And I don't think we have the time to go through in detail, but we're going to get a taste of the AB change model, thinking about mm -hmm. solutions to these big challenges, peak challenges we're referring to. How can people mm -hmm. use that, use the AB change model to begin to address these challenges and change? So the really critical bit of the, the AB change model is understanding what is the type of change. So once you so we've talked about needing to know what it is you're trying to achieve and then the context in which you're trying to achieve that. Once you've really bottomed all of that out, you can then start to see what is the type of change in which I am dealing with. And every change is going to be different. And a lot of people go, oh, well, it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's this and it's this and it's this. And I go, and many times a change can be more than just one type when you break it down into the different elements. But if you keep it at that higher level, it will be predominantly one type of change. What will then happen within that type of change is there will be the impacts and the elements, there will be different parts of it that will be slightly different, for example. So let me, if I can uh, give an example here. Let's say a lot of changes are about improving, you know, taking what within an organization, they're taking what they've got, and they're trying to improve it. They're trying to make things better, more efficient, more effective, blah, 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 blah. And But within that improvement change, it, there will be elements that are a bit more, it's going to be around healing discourse, potentially. Or there may be elements that are very much around uh, creating a, um, getting some consensus and buy-in from people. So there can be different elements with it, but the, that doesn't, and, and as a result, those elements you'll lead differently, but the overarching change will still be about improvement. And once you've identified that, the model then does the rest for you. It says, if that's the type of change you're doing, then this is the leadership style you need to be demonstrating. And these are the change skills in order of importance. What it also says is if you focus, though, the majority of your attention on the least important skill rather than the most important skill, 
is going to go wrong. <laughs> you know, yeah. the logic kind of states that. At the same time, though, what a big pitfall that people or um, end up in is that they will see the table um, that the model lay, lays out, right? This is the type of change, leadership style, blah, blah, blah. And they will have sometimes identified the type of change, but then they'll go, oh, but then there's these leadership styles. Let me pick which, well, this is, uh, um, this is the leadership style I need to do. And usually that's their preferred leadership style. But, and they'll just do that instead of what it is they're trying to deal with. And so the, what I really should encourage people and in, in, in try and stop them doing when I'm coaching them and helping them on that is that this is the type of change. Based on this type, you've got to do this leadership style. And, that, and these are the change skills. The type of change defines the leadership style. Not The leadership style does not define the type of change. And so that's really quite, quite key. And so that's how people can, can use it. So if it's a continuous improvement, for example, that's a coaching leadership style. And the big question that I, I talk to my clients is, what does that mean to you? What does that look like? What does that feel like? What is that about? How, how do you know you're doing a coaching leadership style? How will others know you are doing it? And, and if you're, you're and, and that's something you've got to bottom out because what I think is coaching and what someone else may think is coaching and, and what you may think is coaching Babs and can be ever so slightly different on that front and that's when it becomes very individualistic and it becomes very personal because change is personal and it is emotional so we need to get comfortable with that and address it in that way rather than ignore it pretend oh we're just going to go through this process instead and you know if I do this tick 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 then it's done really is it um and uh usually no <laughs> and uh, and that's when you get um you know the the stats that that Carter did um did do the the research in of 70 percent of change projects failing costing I looked it up actually just the other day for something else 260 billion dollars yeah the amount of failed projects is costing you know so if we could just turn that around and reduce that i mean the impact that would have on our bottom lines much less on our people and the recruitment and retainment and everything else uh you know that that'll have a big impact yeah, totally. It will have a massive impact. I think that's, I like what you said there in terms of it's the type of change that determines the leadership style. And I think it almost goes back to the first statement around learning and change, because if you've got a type of change that implies this is the kind of leadership style you need, well, that's not your strength. Then you need to mm. go into learning. You need to go into exactly. learning and yes. figure that out. Um, so it's, it, it, all, it all comes together that way, and that's quite yeah. quite important. Um, mm. How did you get to those types of change? As in, uh, just curious, because how did you, how many are they that you've identified, and how did you come about those types of change? 
Right. So I, I did quite a lot of research in the whole, you know, a lot of leadership uh, theories and so forth. And um, and I predominantly they're, they're the Goldman um, leaderships, uh, sorry, change types of change. And I use Goldman's updated 2002 leadership styles and um, rather than the 2000. And those were also in his types of change were also mapped onto Dumphy and Stays and several other theories so that I could really bottom out this being the types of change and there isn't anything that we're missing here um, from that standpoint. And then use their, his leadership styles. Um, and then I'd use Cantor's, uh, Rosabeth Cantor's change skills. And based on the research that I conducted was able to map the change skills onto the different leadership styles and types of change. And that's that's where those two, so it's all based on theory. And um, and there were, because there was lots of different theories out there and so forth. And I, I brought these things together. Nice, sounds like a very interesting synthesis of lots of theories, lots of experience, lots of case studies, lots of exp um, experimentation as well. So mm -hmm. no, brilliant. Um, something that's quite, topical and I think you've probably written about this as well is dealing with resistance to change um mm -hmm. it, it's something I get asked a lot um when I put content out on this it gets a lot of responses as well it, it would get good to get your your take on how do leaders deal with this this resistance to change good question um sometimes they don't at all uh sometimes they run away from it uh sometimes they ignore it um what I strongly advocate and have have done so for for over a decade now is that resistance is going to happen and it's fine it really is it's actually no big deal and i think that's the first thing people need to really hear and let it sink in it's no big deal because we all resist. It's natural. It's human. We're going to do it. We even do it for a good change. You know, if we think about it, if we suddenly won the lottery, we're looking at our ticket and uh, we look at the numbers going, that's not right. No. What do I? In, uh, oh, my gosh. You know, that's resistance. You know, <laughs> that, that's resistance. It, it, it's natural. It's human. It's fine. It's not a problem. What we need to do as leaders and managers, when we're trying to help people through a change, is we need to understand what that resistance may be and where it may be coming from. And that's going back to that whole change context and asking and looking and going, how are people thinking and feeling now about the world, much less how they may think and feel about the change. That is about, that's the first step in starting to understand what the resistance could be if we knew if we know right they may, probably won't like this because blah 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 or they might get a bit up, they'll be fine about it but they'll be a bit upset because the timing isn't right or there's something you know whatever it may be then we as as leaders of change can say okay well then if that's the case what can we do to mitigate that what can we put in place that's going to help people in that space and it may be we're just saying we know the timing's not great, guys. 
this is the reason why we've decided we need to take this decision. This is where we're going to go with it. You, know, you, you take the fire out of it straight away and people go, uh, all right, fine, but it's a bit crap, but whatever, we'll, we'll deal with it. As opposed to, oh, you didn't even think of da, 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 and how dare you. And, but, you know, it's a different mindset, you know, so when people realize that you've taken into consideration what their thoughts and feelings may be about this, they may not be over the moon about it, but they will appreciate that they have been considered. When we ignore or run away and pretend it's not happening with resistance, that's when people feel like they're not being considered. They're not being taken care of. You're just seeing them from their perspective. They think you're just seeing them as a number rather than a person. And that's when resistance turns nasty because it's people feeling like they have, they get ticked off, they get mad. So it's not just, it's not resistance, it becomes anger. And that's a different thing. And um, I can share with you an example if you want. That would be good. So I was working for, for this organization and it was, it's huge uh, national organization, um, uh, government organization. And we were told that um, by the, the client that there was a lot of, of fear of technology. It was a technology transformation program and affected everybody. And they were getting new devices as well as new software, new everything. And we were told there was a big fear of technology. And we're like, okay, all right, we can understand that. And uh, and so we create the plans and and so forth. And we're about to go to a pilot. So we're gonna we want to do this pilot. Um, this is coming from the client. We want to do this pilot. They're they're friendly. They you know they they will give us the honest feedback, but they're re they'll be really nice about it. We always test things out with them because they like being the test the the test the guinea pigs and. Um, they're, they're very, you know, very nice about it. They're, they're well up for it. This time. Okay, fine. Um, and they go and do it and it didn't go so well as this little pilot. It really didn't go so well, which really, which took them very much aback. And so I said, okay, um, can I see the next session? I'd like to go and observe, see what's going on here. And I sat in the next session and, and, and cause these, the, the trainers and everything, they, they'd been doing this a long time. They knew they were um, long-term within this particular um, department. They weren't, you know, fresh fish or anything. Um, they, they were quite long in the tooth. So I, I sat there and I, I went to observe them and it was through that observation that I realized there's not, necessarily fear of technology going on. I mean, there, there is an element of that, but the bigger issue is there is a phobia of technology going on, which is a completely different thing. People didn't even want to press the on button of the new device, much less than start to play around and do stuff on it. 
they were petrified. And so I, I had I said, they went, okay, this is, this is different. This is a completely different kind of, we need to actually take a step back. The client's offices where I was working uh, was a very modern, very, it was a huge building, about a block long. And where I sat with the team, there was a glassed meeting room and they had a lot of other glassed uh, quiet spaces and meeting rooms and so forth. And I start, started to think, if there was a rat in that meeting room, there's no way I'd be on that floor, much less down there sitting with the team. So I started to think, what would it take for me to get comfortable with that rat being in that meeting room and still sit down with the team? Long story short, a heck of a lot of time <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so many baby steps. And I started to think that's what we need to do here with the individual who's got a fear or rather, sorry, a phobia of technology. And so I worked with the IT team and said and found out that there's an IT help desk person in every office. Or if it's a really small office, they'd only be there for a couple of days and then they'd move off to another satellite office for a couple of days. But in any case, they had a space and someone was there, if not every day of the week every week for a few days. So um, I talked to him, I said, let's get the new devices and equipment and, and everything onto the IT help desk, every single one of them, um, as a demo and have a, a, a fake demo on there. Um, dummy account uh, mm -hmm. is what we were calling. And that, and we, and if they're not already in a high traffic zone area, let's put them in a high traffic zone area. And I said, the reason why is because then when people are going, getting their cups of tea or coffee or go out and get their lunch and this, that, the other, they will see it as they walk by and they made that. And as a result, they'll look at it and they go, Oh gosh, first time I'm just going to keep going this way. But second, third, fourth or fifth time, they might go, Hey, Joe, what's that thing on your desk? Oh, it's the new equipment. Want to see it? Nope. That's all right. Got a meeting. Got to go. And they'll run. Anyway, long story short, eventually they would start, probably start to ask questions. They would get curious about it. And slowly, over time, get closer to it and ask Joe, well, yeah, go ahead. Why don't you show me? And um, well, can I have a go and, and let me try? And the whole point was then by the time they then uh, were in the situation where they're in that training room, a seeing the devices and touching the devices and doing it. And, and at the same time, their old devices being taken away and a new device is being deployed within that time frame. They're comfortable with it. They're used to it. They have seen it before. It's not such a shock to the system and although they may not be over the moon about it and in some ways still would rather have their fax machine back the point is they would be okay with it and happy at that point to touch it and to actually do what needs to be done with it and so that's, that's a, what it that's what's talked about you know so, so when it comes to resistance you know we said there's going to be a resistance. It's fine. It's it's natural. It's really no big deal. But we need to understand what that resistance is, how it may manifest, 
and then take a look at what we can do to help mitigate it. Yeah, uh, it's a very refreshing way of re explaining the challenge of resistance to change. First of mm. all, that it is it is natural, isn't it? It's something I yeah. think, and that's I like the way you describe it. It's so natural. We need to accept it for what it is, and it's very change is very personal, um, mm -hmm. like you described it. Understand your audience, just and as long as you you've grown up and mature about it, just take the baby steps and put your like you said, being personal, change being personal. Put yourself in their shoes, which is exactly what you've done. Yeah. And you've yeah. you've led them through, you've led the people through that change in a very in a mm. very intelligent way, which is which is brilliant. Um, I think in the short time we've had or discussing, you've touched on a lot of things. For for our audience, are there tips or ad any advice you can give on how you can learn to improve your ability to lead people through change? Um, because it, it sounds like it goes back to the first point. It's about mm -hmm. continuously learning and improving. It's not knowing everything, but how do you continue to learn? What advice would you give in that space of continuing to learn and improve? Right. So I think, you know, change is cyclical. You know, there is, we're never done on that front until, you know, whatever you believe in makes it done <laughs> it makes us done and uh, and and then we're wherever we our final resting place wherever that may be and as a result you know life is very much it, it's just constantly changing we've talked about for decades now this it's not new that change is constant and i think thing to recognize is that the level of uncertainty and complexity that we are dealing with now is not going to go away. It's also not going to decrease. It's going to continue to increase. And although change is at its fastest rate that it's ever been, it's also at the slowest rate it will ever be. So it's about understanding that that is the context, the world in which we live in. So as a result, we don't have a crystal ball to sit there and go, oh, this is what's going to be coming down the line. And I know what the next disruptor is. We might know what some of the disruptors will be, but we don't know what they all are. We don't know what the big ones are. You know, the pandemic took most people by a complete, you know, surprise and, and, and out of the blue, they know you know, even those who were in, and some people were still were predicting it several years prior to that a pandemic was coming. I don't think anybody really anticipated the level of impact, didn't see the world quite literally stopping for a year. Um, you know, and we're still dealing with the supply chain issues of, of things because it stopped, you know, in many ways. So we don't know what the next disruptors are going to be. But what we can do is we can be open and honest with ourselves and with others to understand where we're at and be real about it. When it comes to, to dealing with change, uh, I very strongly recommend that that vision that is that is really really key 
knowing what it is that you want. Where is it that you are going? Are you going to Manchester or Bristol? Because <laughs> the difference is quite yeah. stark at the end of the day. Knowing that then allows you to help make decisions about things now. Because if you know that that's where you want to go, when you come to the crossroads, which we all come to crossroads, you know, over a long periods of time, we can say, well, will this take us closer to or further away from our vision? And hence that we can make a decision based on that. If it's going to take closer to, then that seems like a no brainer. If it's going to take us further away, we go, well, do we need to do that first for a little bit so that we can get closer? Or is that like, no, that's going to be as a result of waste of time and hence not put our investments and put, put our resources and our efforts and our energies and money into that place. So to me, that's, that's what's really critical is understanding the, the, the vision. And when I talk about the vision and this, the other big thing is I'm not talking about the here and now. So many mm. leaders and managers deal with change with just what's right in front of them. And that actually means when you, when you deal with changes only just right in front of you, you then the following year, you're dealing with that. And then you're dealing with that. And then you're dealing with that. It doesn't ever go away. And you end up doing things over and over and over again. Whereas if you take a vision and you plan something or and, and put, create a vision that's for at least 10 years down the line, then it becomes all part of that vision of what it is. You're doing. All the changes, the little changes that need to happen to achieve that is part of that bigger thing. And when you've got a lot of little changes that's part of that bigger thing and you communicate that clearly, then that actually tackles burnout because people feel, oh, it's just part of this rather than it being yet another thing. So that's the big difference. And that's what can really help when it comes to leading people through through that change, whether it's whether you want to call it a, a story or a journey. That's what that's what really helps. I think that, that's brilliant, actually. A vision, it's so important. It makes a, a dramatic difference once there's a vision. And like you say, it's clearly communicated. The journey is understood. There might be, the previous point we mentioned, resistance at the beginning. But once the long-term vision is there, and you look at it long-term, taking those baby steps over a period of time, you're not repeating what you did last year. You're, you're actually moving forward. As a, mm -hmm. as a team, as an organization, as an industry, you are moving forward. So that is br brilliant and, and very well put. And something it's a good lesson, a brilliant lesson for leaders who have this challenge of, leading people through change um mm. i think just in closing it'll be mm -hmm. good to for our audience to know a little bit about you as in maybe mm -hmm. a little bit more about your book and what are you doing and obviously how can people reach out to you right okay so um people can reach out to me via linkedin um i'm i'm available on linkedin i also have my own website jenniferlbryan.com and um, you can, so you feel free to, to reach out to me via those two ways, um, LinkedIn, Jennifer L. Bryan. Um, 
that's not a problem. And I'd, I'd be happy to hear from everybody. So, you know, if it's a quick question, um, no worries, just, just shoot it over and, and I'll be happy to answer that. That's not a problem. The, in regards to my book, uh, my, so my book is out leading people in change, a practical guide. Um, you can get it. It's available globally, um, at all the major, uh, bookstore retails online so in the uk that's amazon wh smith and waterstones in the us that's amazon and barnes and nobles and apac um that's at times bookstore and um and as, as well as on amazon online so uh that's uh that's it, it's available in all those different places what else do you want to know, Pat? Um, no. <laughs> I think, I think that, 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 that's um that's brilliant actually. So what I'll do is I'll put the links to your LinkedIn and to your websites on the what I what I call the show notes, basically the description. So if you're watching this on YouTube, it will be in the description section. If you're listening to this either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, it will be just in the description as well, typically called the show notes. So it's um, always easy. You can reach out to to Jennifer, ask questions get a copy of her book. Uh, it's, it's been brilliant speaking. I think a lot of very, very important insights that you shared of how to lead people in change. That it's and very practically and very, how can I put it? You, you've shared it through the lens of a personal, very personal touch as well, which is which is brilliant. So it's been- Thank you. No, really, thank really you. Nice. Oh, I'm good. I'm glad glad you enjoyed it. I've got, um, so uh, coming up, um, I've, I'm doing a TEDx in Scunthorpe. Uh, later on this month and then that will go live on on the TEDx um I've also got another book coming out I, well I've contributed a chapter um in a book called Managing Change During Unprecedented Times that's supposed to be published in March of next year and I am in the process of writing my book number two so um wow. uh, so there that that is going on and there's a lot of articles that have gone out also on Workplace Insight magazine um this year so uh so there are a few other things out there as well perfect well done i think you're, you're doing a great thing for the community and so everybody learns how to lead people in change thanks so much for your time i think you've been brilliant we keep in touch we look out for everything that you, you're doing all the best and thanks for taking the time to speak to me today thank you thank you very much babs you take care of yourself it's been a pleasure would you like to learn more about leading people in change? Would you like to join in the conversation on how to become a better change leader? Connect with a community of like-minded leaders on our website, thechangelead.com. When you visit our site, click join to join the community. Also, check out the show notes for details on how you can contact today's guest, Jennifer Bryan. Please don't forget to like, comment, review, and subscribe. Thank you very much for tuning in. Have a great week and see you next time.